Has he been a way maker for you? Come on. I think you can do better than that. Come on. Give him some praise. Let's go. Yeah. Hey, do me a favor. Find a neighbor. Give him a fist bump, pat on the back, kiss on the cheek if it's appropriate. If it's appropriate. And then you can find your seats if you would. Thank you so much. You know, first service, uh, I got up here after singing that song and shocker, but I was overcome with emotion. (laughs) And I can't help but to still be overcome with emotion. Because as, as we sing about our waymaker, our miracle worker, as the pastor of this church, I'm singing that song with names and faces in mind. Names and faces of people that I know are facing a mountain that they just don't know how it's going to move. And I sing Waymaker, Miracle Worker. And as I'm singing that song this morning, I sense the Holy Spirit say in my heart, Adam, that person you're thinking of, I've already made a way. I've already made a way for the mountain to move. You just have to trust me. So whatever mountain is in your way, I want you to know this morning that you can face that mountain knowing that God has already made a way for it to move. He's already made it. Trust him. Trust him. And if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, Jesus said, you can say to the mountain, move. And it'll move. He's already made a way. He's already made a way. Well, thank you so much for being here this morning. My name is Adam Harold. My incredible wife, Tanya, and I have the privilege of leading this community that we call The Refuge together. We do it as a team. I couldn't do it without her on, on, on most days. That was, that's usually what I say about her. She can't, I can't do it without her. She can't do it without me on most days, uh, but I can't do it without her. And uh, it's our joy to lead this community called The Refuge. Um, this last week, we got an opportunity to get, to get away uh, and to, to get some rest. And, you know, I, I told the first service, I grew up in a pastor's home and um, I can't remember my dad ever going on vacation, like ever getting rest. Usually we'd go on vacation and it would be to my grandparents' house. You know, that doesn't mean a lot of rest for him. And I know now that doesn't mean a lot of rest for them. But this last week we got away on vacation and got some rest. And did you enjoy my friend Matt Joya last Sunday? Come on, did he do good? Matt has become one of my best friends in the entire world. I talk to him every day almost through this wonderful app called Marco Polo. And I've already talked to him today, actually. And uh, he's, the Pines Church is celebrating Baptism Sunday this morning. Come on, we know that they're going to have a great Sunday. And I want to 
just reiterate something that he said. He said, we're family. He loved coming to the refuge because we're family. And um, I just want you guys to know he's 100% correct. We are family. And we celebrate them and their baptisms that they're bringing this morning, new life that's happening in the Pines Church. And so if you have friends or family in the Bangor area, tell them about the Pines Church in, uh, in Bangor. And they're just doing such a great job. I love Pastor Matt and Jess and what they're doing. And I, I told them when, when he called me that they were an answer to prayer. That we had been praying that God would send another Ark church planter. Ark is the organization that we planted with, and um, and He did it in the form of Matt and Jess Joya, and uh, we are so so grateful for them. Um, before we get into our message this morning, I just have a few announcements. Um, first of all, if you're visiting with us for the first time, welcome to this wonderful community we call the Refuge. You're so generous by being here. I always say it every week, and I think it's really valuable. You're the most generous by being here. The reason you're so generous is because you can't get more time. You can get more money. Some of you are like, Lord Jesus, please. Show me some of that favor. But you... can't get more time. And you've shared with us 60 to 75 minutes. And, uh, and if at the end of your 60 or 75 minutes, and you just want to know more about the refuge, then all we ask is for seven more minutes in this thing that we call seven minute head start, where you can learn more about the refuge church. Um, it happens in what we call the lounge. If you go right out to the exit to the right, uh, there's some, there, there will be someone there to greet you, to invite you into seven minute head start. All it takes is seven minutes to tell you all that you need to know about the refuge. But as you sit there this morning, if you feel comfortable filling out the card in front of you, I want to send you a, a, a card in the mail just to say thank you for your generosity and sharing your time with us. And uh, if you've never received a card from me, fill out a card. I will send you a card in the mail. I love doing it. And um, those poor people that filled out a card last Sunday have to wait to this next, next week to get a card from me. But I love sending out a card uh, in the mail just to say thank you. So um, if you drop that off in what we call the black boxes, um, there's one at the kids' check-in. Um, and I think there's one up by the coffee somewhere. Just fill, just fill that out. Drop it in the, in, the, in the box. I'll send you a card to say thank you. Um, but if you drop it off at guest services, the, the wall with a big feather in the back, um, in the front of the building, will give you a gift for that card and that information. So also, if you feel like being more generous with, uh, if you feel like being generous with your finances, uh, you can do that by giving um, at refugemain.church slash give or just by texting 77296. Um, actually, if you text WHM and an amount, 77296, um, it'll send you a prompt and you can fill everything out there. Or if you just want to give cash or check, uh, you can drop it in the black boxes, that, the same black boxes as those, as those cards. I've got three more announcements that I want to share with you this morning before we, we pray and we get on with our message. The first one is, um, is next Sunday, it, we are beginning something new that we're calling First Sunday Food Drive. And um, we have been given a generous gift of, of a buggy or a cart. Okay, so I asked the first service this, I'll ask you guys this. So how many of you go shopping and you get a buggy? Anybody? No one, no one in the first service said buggy. I, sometimes I say buggy, all right? Some Midwest Southern thing, I guess, maybe. Um, but how many of you get what I always call a shopping cart? Anybody get a shopping? Look at all those hands. Look at all those hands. That's what that's the that's the majority. 
Everyone calls it a shopping cart, Tanya. Some people, some people call it a carriage. Anybody call it a carriage? My wife. That's it. She's a little old school. She likes to get a, a carriage at the grocery store. But we've been donated one of those. And it's going to be in the common area if you want to bring uh, any food that you would give to a food pantry. Uh, so bring a, a can of, of beans, um, macaroni and cheese, something that's not going to go bad, and drop it in that cart next Sunday. It's going to be somewhere out there. And, um, and then we're going to donate that to our local food pantry. And that happens the first Sunday of every month. And uh, it's, it's an opportunity for us to be generous to our community. The second announcement that I have is, um, how many miss small groups? Anybody miss small groups? We've got small groups beginning again on September the 4th is when we're launching them. But we need groups, which means we need leaders. So if you're interested in, um, in, in leading a small group, you can see... Maureen Belanger, and um, I don't think she's here any longer. I think she went home after this. But if you want to show up at 6 o'clock on September 1st, we're going to have a small group leader training. So if anybody wants to lead, all you have to do is show up at 6 o'clock, September 1st, and we're going to have a training. But if you are interested and you can't make that, just come and see me afterwards. Uh, you don't have to see Maureen. Just come and see me, and I'll tell you everything that you need to know about leading a small group. Um, and those start September the 4th. So we're really excited for our fall semester of small groups. One final announcement, if you're not asleep yet, um, I'm working on it. Um, and that is September 11th through October 1st. We're celebrating 21 days of prayer. We do it every, uh, every uh, winter and every fall. So um, we'll do it in January and then we'll do it again, usually in September. September the 11th through October the 1st. We're going to do 21 days of prayer. There will be more details about that next Sunday. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, we don't deserve you. We don't deserve your grace and your goodness in our lives, but Lord, you give to us every single day. In fact, you give to us every moment for every breath in our lungs is a gift from you. Father, we thank you for the way that you freely give to all of us. Lord, I pray that as we open your word today, that it would become alive and active, quicker than any two-edged sword, piercing our soul, dividing joint and marrow, just as your word teaches us. Lord, we love you so much. We give you this time. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Are you glad you came to church this morning? I hope you are. I hope you are. Look at your neighbor. Tell, tell him, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you came to church. Tell him. All right. Thank you so much for coming today. Well, we're in a series that we're calling The Dashboards for Life. The Dashboards for Life. And um, it began, the series began uh, I think it's three weeks ago now, three or four weeks ago, uh, but it's a, it's a four-week series, uh, but it's going to take us six weeks to get through it because your pastor has been a slacker, and I was in Alaska at the beginning of the series. We started it, then I went to Alaska, and I had my friend John come and speak, and then, uh, and then I came and I did week two, and then I went on vacation. And so, listen, we all live in Maine. We know that we have to soak up every moment of summer that we have. And so um, I've done that. I appreciate you allowing me to do that. It's actually the first, Sunday, first summer uh, in the last six years that uh, we've able, able to be able to, to get away as much as we have. But let me tell you, I'm ready to be home I've missed you guys, and um, I say that with emotion in my, in my voice because I really have missed you, 
um, my pastor a couple years ago went on sabbatical for like seven weeks. I think he went on sabbatical. And I was like, man, I've been gone two out of six weeks. And I don't know how you do seven weeks sabbatical. So, um, uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. I don't know how you do it, but um, it's, been, it's been good to get away. I know I need it. The Bible commands rest. And so if we don't rest, what happens is we die. And so we have to rest. And I know sometimes that it's what's best for me uh, and what's best for my family. But I don't, sometimes you got to do something you don't want to do. Now, listen, I wanted to go on vacation. It was a lot of fun. I had a great time. And uh, the kids had a blast. And uh, we just, it was awesome. It was awesome. And uh, I, can't, I can't say enough. Thank you so much for allowing us to get away. But in week one, uh, we talked about the dashboard for death, or the dashboard of death. And, um, and we said every dashboard has two indicators on it. The dashboard of death has the two indicators of good and evil. We, and we get that. I'm going to tell you in a minute where we get that. We get it from the Garden of Eden. And I'm going to tell you why we got good and evil from that in just a moment. Week two, we talked about the dashboard of defeat. And we talked about the indicators of lies and truth. One of the things I learned a couple of weeks ago was that Satan doesn't like it when we talk about lies. When we talk about his lies. And um, I'm going to share with you in just a moment how I learned that a couple weeks ago, which I've always known that Satan doesn't like it when we talk about lies. But like I experienced Satan not liking it. And that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> week three this week today, we're going to talk about the dashboard of demand. And um, we're going to talk about the two indicators that the dashboard of demand has in just a moment. But next Sunday, if I can give you a little promo for next Sunday, next Sunday, we're going to talk about the dashboard of definition and what defines you. There are two indicators in our lives that define us, and we have to live in one of them. Today's dashboard is really interesting because it's the only dashboard that I'm talking about that you don't eliminate one of them. The dashboard of, of death, we eliminate evil and good and evil. The dashboard of defeat, we, we eliminate lies when we talked about lies and truth. We got to get rid of Satan's lies. But today we don't get rid of either one of the indicators. However, we want to live under one of them. The indicators that we're talking about today are the indicators of law and grace. Law and grace. The foundation of this series is found in the Garden of Eden. It's in the third chapter of all the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, and uh, 1, 2, and 3. And in the Garden of Eden, how many of you know they didn't drive cars? They didn't have dashboards. So God calls dashboards trees. I call them dashboards. And so this is just something creative that I've come up with to, hope, to, to help convey truth to you guys about God's word. But in, in, the, in the Garden of Eden, God called them trees. And so God gave Adam and Eve two trees in the Garden of Eden. The first one was known as the tree of life. It had one indicator. God's desire for our lives has always been one indicator. That's it. Even today, as we talk about two indicators that we have to involve both of them, his desire for both of for, for the, the, the overall message today is that we live in, in his grace. It's always been one indicator. He's always wanted one indicator for our lives. The second tree in the Garden of Eden was known as the, the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. I call that the dashboard of death. It's the tree of life and the tree of death in the Garden of Eden. The tree of death contains good and evil. That's where we got the indicators from. And so um, today I want to talk to you about the dashboard of demand. The dashboard of demand. So two weeks ago, um, I was talking about the dashboard of defeat. And I was talking about lies, Satan's lies 
and, and truth, and God's truth. And uh, I learned real quickly, um, as in like immediately following the first service, that Satan does not like it when we talk about his lies. Um, so I have a little bit of OCD, not much, but a little bit. And what I've learned is that there's two types of people in this world, two types of people that have either you have this OCD that I have or you don't. And the OCD that I have is, you know, on your, your iPhone for those iPhone users, um, when the little red circle pops up on an app or a, a thing and it has a little number one or two or three or for some people 5,000. I'm the type of person that I have got to eliminate all the little ones on my phone. Anybody with me? Anybody with my OCD? You got to get rid of that notification. As soon as it pops up on your phone, you got to get rid of it. I had somebody after the first service send me a screenshot of their 5,000 emails. It was like, you crazy. You know what's interesting to me about that type of this, this personality type is a lot of the people with the 5,000 number or the usually those are like the most effective people that I know. Like they're very task driven, task oriented people, but they just put it on the back burner. But the people like, like for me, the reason I got to get rid of the one is because I know that that one represents a person and I got to take like take, that's part of the reason. Part of the reason, other reason is that I just got to eliminate the, the, the one on my phone. And so immediately following uh, the first service, well, so I didn't see it until after the second service. But um, right by my Gmail on my phone, there was a one. So I had to eliminate it. So I open up the Gmail and I see there's an email and it says this morning's service. And I was like, oh, what does that say? So I did like a big pastoral no-no, and I opened my email immediately following the service, and I read it, and it was from someone that was emailing me about my message. And usually when Satan gets upset in the form of lies, it appears in unpleasant, nasty email. Um, anybody get some of those? Just pastors? Okay, I get it. And so I read this email, and um, it was telling me about how she had actually had a dream from God about the message that I was preaching and how hyper-grace it was. And I was, I was hurt. And I heard her her accusation louder than I heard what God did that morning where one person gave their heart to Jesus. Because in my life, I have a tendency to hear the lie more than I hear the truth. And I didn't hear the truth of what God did. I just listened to the lie of what Satan's saying that that wasn't real truth. And I put emphasis on it. And I don't usually tell these types of stories because I don't like to embellish someone's nasty email. But it made a really good illustration for this week. So if you're going to send me a nasty email, just make sure it doesn't provide a great illustration for the following Sunday. I welcome all emails, but I reserve the right to use them as illustrations. And... The thing that she accused me of was being hyper-grace. And as I started thinking about it, I started thinking that people often would rather choose the law over choosing grace. And this morning's message is all about why we choose law over grace. So if I have one big idea for you today... It's this. If you're taking notes, write it down. If you're not taking notes, write it down anyway. The law encourages performance, but grace encourages transformation. The law always encourages performance, but grace 
will always encourage transformation. God wants to take your old stony heart, he says in Ezekiel, want to take your old stony heart and replace it with one of flesh. He wants to give you a heart transplant. The only way a heart transplant happens is if we transform. The law will never accomplish that, but grace will. And so if you want to follow along in today's notes, you can do so on the YouVersion Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app uh, screen, if we can show that screen on how to get there. If you, if you, um, do I have someone back there? Yeah, so they, they're going to show you how to get to the YouVersion Bible app in just a moment. But um, all of today's notes in Scripture are available there, but all the, all the Scripture will also be available on the screen. The law always encourages performance. But God's desire is grace, which always encourages transformation. God wants us to transform. And so we're going to begin this morning by looking, taking a closer look at the law. Uh, the law begins with the Ten Commandments. So we all, most of us know the Ten Commandments. We've heard of the Ten Commandments. We used to write those on the, the courtroom walls of our nation. The Ten Commandments was a big deal. It began with the Ten Commandments. And so, um, however, did you know that there are 613 laws in the Old Testament? 613. That's a whole lot to live up to. That's a whole lot to live up to. And we can never live up to the law, which is why we need God's grace, because we can never live up to it. God's, God, the, the law had his purpose, and the purpose was to point us to our Savior, our need for Jesus. Because we couldn't live up to the law, we needed a Savior that could help us live up to the law. And so look at me, look, look with me at Exodus chapter 19. This is just before we read the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And this is when Moses, uh, right before Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. This is what it says. Then Moses climbed to the mountain up, uh, to appear to, before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the d descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. This is what he says to say to the Egyptians or to the, the Israelites. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me, what will happen? And keep my covenant, covenant you will be my own special treasure. From among all the peoples of the earth, for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my my kingdom of priests, my holy nation, this is the message that you must give to the people of Israel. So if you obey these laws, then you will have relationship with me. That's what God said to Moses to, to say to the children of Israel. And that was, that was the whole premise of their relationship. It was based on the law. The covenant that he's speaking about is the old covenant promise between God and Abraham and we read about that all throughout the book of Genesis. And God gives, the, gives, a, uh, gives Moses the law and says, in order to be in covenant with me, into relationship with me, you have to obey these laws. The law put a demand on the children of Israel that they could not live up to. The law always puts a demand on people that we cannot live up to. Therefore, we need God's grace. We can never live up to it. But nonetheless, what do we choose? <laughs> people choose the law. We always choose the law. You know why people choose the law? Because they would rather have a job description for their salvation. People want a job description for salvation so that they can know what they have to do in order to be saved. 
oftentimes we will ask the question, what must I do to be saved so that I can know what the bare minimum is to be saved? What, what is it that I have to do in order to be saved? And so we look for a job description for our salvation when God's plan was never a job description. God's plan was never the law. It was a part of his plan, but it wasn't the plan. The plan was to offer you him, to offer you grace. A job description for salvation is nothing but legalism. That's what the Pharisees wanted. That's what religious leaders wanted. They wanted the law so they could have something to follow, something to live up to. Prior to Jesus, hear me loud and clear. Prior to Jesus in the Old Testament, the law was the ceiling. That was the way that people achieved relationship with God. It was the ceiling. It was the way they did it. They would go to the temple and they would offer sacrifices because that was the law, but that's what was needed to achieve a relationship with God. It was all based on what they did according, like to follow the law. We just read about that in, in Exodus. Prior to Jesus, the law was the ceiling. Look at Romans chapter 3, the way the apostle Paul wrote it. He says, obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. Obviously, the law was applied to the children of Israel. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show the entire world who's guilty before God. Ouch. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Listen, you can't be in relationship with God by obeying the law. That's what he says. You can't be made right with God by doing all the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. That was the purpose of the law, to show us how sinful we are. In other words, to show us that we need Jesus, to show us that we need a Savior, to show us that we need God's grace. That's what the law was for. It was the ceiling before Jesus. But look at two chapters later in Romans chapter 5, verse 20 through 21. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. He's, already, he's reiterating what he's already said. But as people sinned more and more, what happened? God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. He said, as people sin more and more, God's grace, God's forgiveness just happened more. Verse 21, so just as sin ruled over all the people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God by resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When God's grace entered the picture through Jesus, grace became the ceiling. Grace is the new ceiling. And so the way we achieve a relationship with, with God is by grace through what? Faith. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you are saved through faith. It is not on your own doing, it is a gift of God. But here's what the biggest misconception about grace is. The biggest misconception about, about grace being the ceiling. People often think with grace being the ceiling that we get to behave however we want to. That's what, that's what the email was saying was, Pastor Adam, you think that people get to obey however they want to. No, 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 no. That's not how grace works. You see, because if grace is the ceiling, the law is the floor. The law becomes the floor. It doesn't go away. It's just, it's just the floor. 
But grace is how we achieve the relationship with Jesus, with God, through Jesus. Grace is the ceiling. The law is the floor. Look at the way Jesus talked about it. I love how Jesus talk about it, talked about it. And to be honest, I've, been, I've, I've tried my whole life trying to understand these verses, try to understand this part of, of what's known as the, the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount is actually Matthew uh, 5, 6, and I think part of 7. Uh, chapter 5 begins with what's known as the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the righteous. Blessed are, uh, and there's, um, I think there's five different Beatitudes. I could be wrong. Um, but in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets into this idea of law versus grace. Look at verse number 17. Matthew 5, 17 through 20 says this. Read it with me on the screens. Don't understand why, uh, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses. He said, I'm, I, I'm not coming to get rid of the law or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I came to, to be the savior that it points you to, is what he's saying. Verse 18, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Meaning he hasn't died yet. He hasn't achieved grace yet. He hasn't been able to share it with us because he hasn't become the sacrifice for our sins yet. Verse 19, so if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. If you teach the law, you're going to be great. But I warn you, catch this, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the law, you know who the teachers of the law were? The Pharisees, the people that crucified Jesus, the people that put Jesus on the cross. So unless your righteousness is greater than theirs, that lived up to the law, the Pharisees lived up to the law. They were like picture perfect law abiders. They followed the law. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, unless you're better than they are, but they were already the picture-perfect law-abiding citizens. They were the ones that everyone looked up to. How in the world am I going to live up to what their standards are? <laughs> this whole grace thing is still in process. Then Jesus comes and he dies to share his grace with us. And his grace was way better than theirs. Or his righteousness was way better than theirs. This is the gospel of grace. I don't deserve it. It's so good. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. We don't deserve to be forgiven for all we've done before we do it but we are when we put our faith in Jesus. Watch what Jesus says. So, so Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount, and he explains how you can even be better. Watch it. Verse number uh, 21. You've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. So this is a part of the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. So you've been told, our ancestors were told, you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't commit murder. You are subject to judgment if you do. Verse 22, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, <laughs> if you're even angry with someone, and you are, sub you are subject to judgment, if you call someone an idiot, 
That's the version I'm using. I'm using the New Living Translation, by the way. It's a great translation. I doubt the original language used the word idiot. It probably used something way harder and way better. But it says, if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought to court. And if you curse someone, you'll be in dangers of the fires of hell. Jesus is saying, if, the law says if you murder, but I say if you get angry. Keep reading verse 27 through 28. He goes on as if murder wasn't a good enough illustration. He says, if you, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, even if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your, in your heart. Jesus says, number one, the law says if you murder, but I say if you get angry. The law says if you commit adultery, but I say if you lust after a woman in her heart. The law says, but grace says. The law says if you murder, but grace says if you even get angry. We often think that grace means we can do what we want, but grace simply means we have a new standard. Let me get personal for a moment. The law says 10%, but grace says give according to how you've been given, given what you've been given. Grace applies to everything. And when we apply grace to our lives, the standard it sets is way higher than the law. But we often think that grace, because we re attain it by faith, through our faith, that's how we get it, by simply putting our faith in Jesus. And if we mess up, guess what? We still have grace. If we swear, we say that swear word, guess what? We have forgiveness for it. If we look at a woman with lust in our heart, guess what? We are forgiven for it, but it might as well be adultery. One of the reasons why I love the story of the prodigal son, it's my favorite Bible story, by the way. The reason I love it is because as the prodigal son returns home, as, as the prodigal son returns home, he realizes the goodness of the father. And he realizes that it's so great that he could never earn it. He says in the, in, the, in the pit, he says, I've sent three things. He says, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to become your son. Make me your hired servant. That's what he, he says. I'm going to go home and I'm going to say these three things to my dad. So he gets home and he sees his dad running to him, taking on his shame. And he gets to his dad and he says, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he never says, make me your hired servant because he realizes he can't earn it. God's grace is so good, we could never earn it. But his standard is better than the law. Hallelujah. And we must follow the standard of grace. Grace is a ceiling. The law is the floor. You can come on out. Do you know why people would rather choose the law more than choose grace? Because <laughs> if God chooses the law, then I can choose the law. And if I can choose the law, I can control people. see, I can look at the law and I can say, but, but Graham, you're not listening to the rules. But, but Adam, you're not listening to the rules. You're not following the rules. You're not living up to the rules. And I can use the law or I can use the rules 
to control you. Oftentimes, we want to choose legalism and we want to choose the law because we want control. (laughs) But in God's kingdom, who's in control? Not me. Not you. God's in control of his kingdom. But if I have the law, then I can control who belongs. (laughs) When I look at the gospel of grace, I look at people that have received it by, through their faith. And I go, yeah, I would have never guessed. I wouldn't have chosen them. I wouldn't think that they would be there. And I control who's there, who belongs, because of the law. But because of God's grace, he gets to choose. And he says, come to me. Come to me. With faith like a child. And I will welcome you in question for you today is what do you choose? Do you choose the law that you get to control? Or do you choose God's grace that he controls? Stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. deserve God's grace. I don't. You know why I don't deserve it? Because I cannot live up to the law. But glory be to God that I don't need to live up to the law anymore. It's the only dashboard where we include both of them. We, we include both indicators. You see, again, the law just was the old way. And it's just the bottom line now. The law, the law is the bottom line. But grace is the new standard. And God's grace and God's mercy and God's love is so great that I could never deserve it. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But God freely offers it. Guess who it's based on? It's not based on you. It's based on him. But again, we like to control it. And because we want to control it, we want to earn our salvation. I've got the best news I can give you. You don't have to earn your salvation. Because Jesus already has. And when we choose to say, I have to live up to the law, you know what we're saying? We're saying, Jesus, your sacrifice isn't good enough. Stop trying to live up to something you could never live up to. And surrender. And say, God, this kingdom is yours. I put my faith in you to follow you. My identity is in Jesus not in me and because my identity is in Jesus it's not that I get to do whatever I want to but it's that I get to follow you, try to follow you and when I mess up you're there to pick me up every single time who has control in your life?
Is it you? Or is it God? So do me a favor, close your eyes, bow your heads. I feel led to do this. I, it's, it's interesting to me how every, every service I feel, diff, I feel led differently to close each one out differently. This morning, I just, I, just, I just had this feeling that there are people in this room that are trying to live up to something that you'll never live up to. You're trying to, to do and do and do and do because you think that's what pleases God, but all it does is generates performance in your life. And you need to let go of the bondage of religion and receive the freedom of grace. Maybe you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus. We want to help you do that today. And so in a moment, we're going to sing a song. And at the end, as we sing the song, my friend Dave is up here. And he would love to pray with anyone that needs prayer. We, we never want anyone to leave here without prayer if you need it. But the most important thing is that you take care of your heart. You do what God wants you to do today. How many of you say, Pastor Adam, I'm saved. I've received Jesus. But I just need to stop trying to obey the law. I see it. Anybody else? You're trying to live up to something that you cannot. God is lifting religion off of people this morning. And he's saying, you don't have to try and do anymore. Because you're, you're, you're forgiven. How many of you say, Pastor Adam, I've never submitted to God through faith in him. I've never put my faith in Jesus. But I'd like to do that today. Is there anyone in the house that would raise your hand and say, Pastor Adam, that's me. I want to give my heart to Jesus today. If you raise your hand. I want to say a prayer with you. For anything, if you said for both people, say this prayer and believe it in your heart. Say, God, I know I need you. I know I need your grace. Come into my life. Forgive me and help me stop trying to live up to the law that I can't live up to and help me rely on my Savior, Jesus. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Is God good this morning? Is God good this morning? Has God's grace been good to you? We're going to sing a song and then we're just, hey, listen, have the best week of your life.